Hello and welcome to Season 4. It's a podcast that seeks to encourage and inspire you on your journey. So we are about to go into our next episode and uh, in my effort to try and understand scripture I have been very much looking to unpack the story behind the story and then perhaps even the story behind that. And so in this series, I'm going to be having conversations with people who are scholars and people who have an understanding of the cultural context to which um, these amazing parables were. This week's episode is a person who has a really helpful insight into the Jewish culture. And um, well, as you can imagine, that has whole wonderful, incredible insights. So let's go straight into this and go from there. Well, it is with great delight that we are with our next guests, and we are with Alex Jacob, who is from um, an organization that most of you probably may not know, um, because it's not necessarily, it's, I would say it's quite a niche charity and a niche ministry, but who they're talking to, the sort of... Uh, uh, things that you talk about and so on and so forth is incredibly relevant to all of us who are on i i mean i use a language pilgrimage you know that journey that walking with christ walking alongside with christ etc so alex is with church's ministry amongst jewish people and um uh it's something we'll we'll learn a, a wee bit about but for me it was one of those things that we are uh we're doing parables and uh for me they are my mum always used to say it's a heavenly story or it's earthly story with a heavenly meaning basically and i was like yeah i got that that was very much an easy sunday school uh, perspective but of course um as we all know the audience that those parables were spoken to was by someone who was from a very very different culture to a, a group of people who are also in a very different culture and um what's even more interesting is that uh, and this is where it goes you know it's, it's mind-boggling so you have jesus introducing a new culture to another kind of culture and then we're reading both of those different cultures from our own 20th century or 21st century western eyes and we probably seem to think yeah 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 we've got all the goodness and grace and riches from what jesus has said truth is probably not so um alex you are here to help us navigate a parable or two or four or however we can get through and um welcome thank you very much it's it's nice to be with you matt thank you for that lovely introduction so tell, why don't you tell um the world a wee bit more about um cjm and, and what you specifically do and then we'll We'll go down our rabbit hole, as they say. Okay, right. Yes. Yeah. So, the church's ministry among Jewish people, CMJ, was the the first uh, ministry uh, focused primarily, but not exclusively, on working with Jewish people. We began mm -hmm. way back, Matt, in eighteen o nine. So, it's a long, long history. We we built the first Protestant church in the Middle East uh, in Jerusalem. Um, at that time, it was the Ottoman Empire. Mm -hmm. And because it was under Muslim rule, uh, there was no uh, room for any new church buildings. There were established Catholic and Orthodox churches there, of course, but yeah. any new Protestant or evangelical church was not allowed to be established. But by God's grace, we, we began to establish the first church there, uh, first evangelical church in, in the early 1830s. Uh, and it's called Christ Church Jerusalem which is right next to the Jaffa Gate, opposite a building called David's Citadel. And uh, so some of your listeners to the podcast may actually um, been to Jerusalem and they may have been yeah. to Christchurch. There's a really lovely coffee shop. There's a hotel attached to the church. Mm. So if you're a pilgrim in Jerusalem, do check out Christchurch. And uh, that's one of our main ministry centres in Israel. Amazing. And we're about, uh, about half a mile from the Western Wall, and about half a mile from the Holy Sepulchre, which is the site which marks the death and resurrection of our Lord. So a really great place to be, right in the centre of the centre. So we yeah. work in Israel, we have four centres there, and we also work 
uh, among Jewish people everywhere in the world. Here in the UK, I'm the chief executive officer here in the UK, yeah. and we have 11 staff working here, some directly in evangelism, some educating the church about our Jewish biblical roots. And I guess in a way, Matt, this is what we're going to be looking at this afternoon about you know, how do we read the Bible with a biblical contours in, you know, in, in mind, the Jewish contours. Yeah. Um, and we also then, the final thing we do is try to encourage Jewish believers to follow Jesus. Often, particularly if you come to faith from an orthodox background, uh, often you can be very isolated from your family and your friends and your culture. So you need a lot of encouragement and support. And we try and help people on that pastoral journey of navigating, moving from one cultural group into the life of following Jesus. What I find very interesting about the Jewish culture is, um, particularly amongst uh, the, the rabbis, the teachers, is that um, a, a lot of the things that are said in the Old Testament, um, they have, it, it, it's almost an introduction. Uh, one, it's not that important whether or not it's a parable. So, for instance, uh, uh, Jonah or Job is is some people would say well perhaps it's just a parable but that in itself is not necessarily the point but the point is actually it's an open conversation that starts to for them to unravel what is our relationship to god using the the god stories that the old testament have is that something that jesus would have done in the same way instead of us just reading out oh, it's just gospel truth or was it something that led to people to having a conversation to say i need to work this out a wee bit more yeah, I think um, I think Jesus has many different titles and and uh, you know descriptions about you know the, the wonderful nature of his ministry. But I think very central to that is that Jesus is the greatest teacher, yeah. and he uses in many ways traditional kind of rabbinic um, ways of communicating. So mm. teaching in parables is nothing especially unique to Jesus. Um, as, you, yeah. as you were suggesting, there's uh, a rich tradition of, of, of parables and stories going right back um, mm. through, through the uh, earlier biblical period. But but Jesus is doing that in such a way that even the other rabbis noticed, Matt, that he had an authority about the way in which he taught, which to the kind of observer would say, this this rabbi is really different. Mm. And, and and he, so he had an authority and, and perhaps a directness. And I think also Jesus is doing something which is both very at heart in rabbinical Judaism, but also taking it to a new level. If you wanted to say, what is Jesus' teaching about? I would say perhaps the best answer you could give, that Jesus is teaching about the kingdom. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Nearly all the parables are about what the kingdom of God is like. So I think you could say, the focus of his teaching is the kingdom and the me and, and the method for responding to this kingdom stuff, this kingdom teaching is discipleship. So Jesus is saying, I'm coming to tell you about the kingdom. And if you want to get into this kingdom stuff, what you have to be is to be my disciple. So kingdom is uh, the message and discipleship is the method. Now, that is a very Jewish understanding. Um, and yeah. being a disciple in the Jewish context, it's not just like perhaps you have a relationship with a university lecturer or somebody you respect. You know, he's a, he's he or she's a great teacher. Yeah. But you don't really know much about them. You probably just meet them in a seminar room two or three times a week. But in the Jewish understanding, a rabbi would actually call people into a relationship with him. And you would literally live with them 24-7. And you would want to imitate every aspect of their life. So mm -hmm. you can read some of the Jewish Talmud traditions. You know, people are saying, how does my rabbi eat his food? How does he clean his teeth? Um, you know, how does he even go to the toilet? I, I want to imitate. I, he is the holy person. He's a person. I want to be like him. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why, you know, Jesus has this special teaching ministry. And he is the supreme biblical teacher. And he is the supreme rabbi. The thing that's fascinating uh, and I think where I'm I'm interested in is, to some extent, uh, him talking about the kingdom. How did that differ to previous 
rabbinic, I think you, you use that word, teaching. Um, and being a disciple to some extent, that that in itself um, was a normal practice. But the message of the kingdom versus the previous messaging that was probably connected more to mosaic law, connected to the um, the prophets, be that you know the twelve or the or the major ones, and obviously um, uh, we have the various different wisdom books like uh, uh, um, Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, etc. Um, we know that there um, we know what the difference is, but what was so distinctly, profoundly different at that time when Jesus stood up and said, "The kingdom of God is at hand." Is it was it suggesting that perhaps the kingdom of God wasn't even in their vernacular that the kingdom of god was something that wouldn't they couldn't attain what, what, what okay i think i think in the kind of traditional jewish understanding your hope is that the kingdom of god is going to come at some future point that somehow there would be this uh fulfillment of god's perfect law and people would respond to that and there would yeah. be this direct intervention in the future so I think in the majority of people listening to Jesus, they would have been aware of some concept of kingdom, but it would somehow be a future, a future hope. And the kingdom was always linked to the Messiah. So this the kingdom would be brought about by the ministry, the life, the teaching of the Messiah. So kingdom is here is almost saying the Messiah is here. I think they're kind of interchangeable understanding into uh, interchangeable terms mm -hmm. so i think when jesus is saying the kingdom of god is at hand that's because jesus is the king and he's at hand so he's making a connection between the hope of the kingdom and his own person so there's that that's a difference and i yeah. think also jesus is saying that the kingdom is also in a sense now within you if you respond to my call to be a disciple mm. because in the past, the focus of Jewish religious hope and kingdom hope was the tabernacle in, in the desert, and then, of course, later the temple. But Jesus then redefined the temple. If you remember, he said, the, my body is the temple. Destroy this, this building and it will be raised up in three days. Mm. And they thought he was talking about the temple, but he was actually talking about his body. And then later on in the epistles, the apostle Paul says, talking about his own relationship with God and our relationship as Christians. He says, you, Matt, Alex, anybody else listening, you, if you love Jesus, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in you. So I think Jesus' teaching on the kingdom is, is different mm. because it is both personal about Jesus, it is present, it's not just a future hope, it's present now because Jesus is here, and it's also in somehow internalized that through the presence of the spirit, we would say that we are entering into the life of the kingdom. It, it is something which we can experience. And and that's helpful because the, the thought that that crossed my mind here was when you said when Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. The thing that's I think that's a really lovely statement because essentially the kingdom of God is here. But it's a choice to whether or not we participate in it, uh, and 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 that that for me leads really interestingly to obviously these parables that we're covering. Um, the, this week's parable covers um, a a kingdom principle on uh, how what is what is the world worldly practice versus a kingdom practice about what we do with our stuff and it's this is not the only parable that talks about this and there's and it's not the only story tell me from your studies and from your colleagues and the, the, the various different things from a jewish perspective um what have we missed in the stories that we probably need to claim well i think i think the first thing is always to when you're looking at any parable or any biblical text is to say well what is the context around it mm. and uh, so so we're looking at today's you know is is luke 12 verse 13 that's where if you've got a bible you can that where it begins so just go back and see what is happening before that jesus is giving warnings and encouragements 
about um, what it means to be connected to, to himself, what it means about the, the cost of being his disciple. So there's some quite intense teaching. And then in this parable, you get somebody from the crowd shouting out something which doesn't really relate, as far as I can see, Matt, mm. um, to what Jesus has just been doing. He simply says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, I'm not for sure what that would mean to one of your listeners, but to a Jewish person at that time, um, the fact that he's referred to as teacher means that Jesus is rabbi. In some translations, the word is rabbi, tell me, tell my brother. Now, it also shows you that the rabbis at the time of Jesus had a legal authority to give guidance on issues of economic law, issues of about inheritance. It's not just, you know, often you think you, you might talk to your minister or your church leader about spiritual things. Mm. You, wouldn't necessarily, you wouldn't necessarily go to them for, you know, legal advice or financial planning. But the rabbis had a much kind of more, you know, they were, they were experts across the field. And they had the authority based on the Torah back in Deuteronomy mm -hmm. to make a ruling about inheritance. Now, my brother should, should divide the inheritance with me. That means almost certainly that their father has died. And if you look, for example, in Luke 15 with the prodigal of the, of the two sons, the younger son says, give me my share of the inheritance, dad. And dad is still alive. Yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. it is so shocking. You yeah. don't, you, you may feel that's fair enough. He's just asking for an early advance. No, no. In Jewish or Middle Eastern culture, that would be, he's really saying to his dad, dad, I wish you were dead yeah. before I get on with my life. There's yeah. been a total breakdown in the relationship between father and son. Now, you wouldn't necessarily pick that up yeah. unless you're beginning to see the Jewish contours. So this is why the biblical Jewish contours really help us, I think, in terms of understanding the text. So here, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus knows his father has died. And the other question here, which the Jewish audience will want to know, is, is that your younger brother or your older brother? who needs to share that with you. Why? Well, you might think, what difference does it make? It makes all the difference if you know Deuteronomy, because the older son gets a bigger share. So they might be saying, oh, let's just do it 50-50. But if he's the older son, he's saying to the rabbi, no, no, we've got to obey the Torah. Make sure I get my bigger share. So there's issues there about fairness and inheritance and all that kind of stuff going on. So I think, you know, that's that's the context. Uh, he's just been for a bereavement. Maybe his younger brother, again, this is speculation, is trying to kind of get a better share than God's word says he should have. So there may be an issue here about obedience to God's word, uh, issues around justice. Now, that will help you, I think, read what happens next, mm -hmm. because that's that's the biblical context of, of, of this of this story or this parable. I mean, it's what you're essentially saying is uh, this person was asking a very loaded question as a form of manipulation to say to the sibling, well, Jesus said it, you've got to do it. Yeah. And, and, and I, well, I mean, I, I think that, that's a really good starting point, Matt. I think anybody who comes to any of these parables, the question is, what is the motivation of the person who asked that question? Yeah. So in the story, I mean, for example, I'm, I'm, you know, the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, you know, mm. what must I do to inherit eternal life? I think that's a genuine question. I mean, and and Jesus then says, well, what does the law say? And this guy knows yeah. his stuff. You know, you've got to love God, care for your neighbor. Yes, absolutely. Do this and you will live, Jesus says. But the guy wants to justify himself, and then he goes, "Well, but who is my neighbour? You know, how do I? How how narrow or how wide do I need to be?" So then Jesus tells the story. So I think you're absolutely right. What is the motivation here? Mm. Is it genuine? And I think often, you know, the, these are genuine questions. But sometimes it says in the text they did this to trap Jesus. So sometimes you know the the, the motivation is not good, uh, and I think that's true for all of us as, as Christians particularly if we're sharing our faith with people, the one thing I've learned in terms, in terms of evangelism, um, you know, ask, is the question there someone's asking, if it's genuine, you have to engage with it as best you can, even if you're perhaps, I don't quite know the answer, but I'll, I'll find out more. Hmm. Or is it simply trying to 
be insincere either to you know to cause an argument or to you know deflect you and the, the, the mistake we sometimes make is to respond to an insincere question with a genuine answer that, that will get us nowhere yeah but when there's an insincere question we need to ask a genuine question so why do you ask this about your inheritance what's going on tell me a bit more about that so we try and engage rather than you know teach in, into that insincerity we try and kind of build some kind of relationship up yeah yeah, yeah. so i think you're right what, what is the motivation here so, again, yeah. the, so 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 then jesus gives the, the story about a bloke who has lots of barns and decides not big enough I'll, be, I'll do a big one and then we know the story there about basically he's wasting his time um with what god's giving him to a jewish listener how revolutionary was that I, I think I think it's 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 immensely revolutionary in the sense that I think for many Jewish people at the time, this sign of you know growth and blessing and uh, this new barn uh, building bigger and bigger is often seen as a sign of God's favor. So oh, okay. you know what? Yeah. So there's something good going on here, isn't it? But Jesus kind of says, you know, he explores that. And if you look at the the, the, the text, I think it says six times in that section. The the, the 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 rich fool says i will do this i have no place i will do i will store uh, i'll say to myself so he's always talking about himself so jesus is saying this guy's foolish not necessarily because what he's trying to do is foolish mm -hmm. it's all coming from his own self-identity this is you know he, he is you know he wants to be a, a self-made millionaire and yeah. he's he's not reliant at all on god He's not even bringing God into the picture at all. This is his agenda, and this is what he's going to do. And that's why I think it's kind of revolutionary that Jesus is saying, you know, examine your heart. I don't think Jesus is against riches or people planning, you know, no, interesting businesses yep. or being ambitious. But it's, it's when those plans or those material desires are done without any reference to the bigger calling of following God and and and, and honouring Jesus, so this is why he, he he's foolish, I think, because he's trying to live his life without any reference to God. He's going to do this himself. So perhaps the best definition of being foolish, you know, if you look at the uh, Psalm fourteen, a fool says in his heart, "There's no God," and this is an example of someone who's foolish because they got these great plans, mm. but the plans are not related to reality and they're not related to god the the thing that i'm very interested i mean so last series um we 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 focused on the sermon on the mount brilliant yes mm. and you know it's it's the uh, the magnus opus it is the blueprint it uh for for you know christian living you know and then the rest of it is just explaining how we deal with it and what it looks like etc um and i've and i've put the 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 sermon the talk on the hill you know um into th three different sections the first one being the beatitudes the second one is what does it look like and then the third one is dealing with what does it look like and the interesting about this the middle part which is the dealing with with what does it look like talks about going the extra mile talks about turning the other cheek yeah talks about loving your enemy these are very generous acts and i when i wrote this devotion it was through those optics i thought do you know what not everyone has barns of money <laughs> but everyone does have barns full of ability to be kind and merciful and generous um and i wonder how jewish people would have read that if they'd realized well, it's not just about cash bearing on jesus is still talking about the temple is your body yes. um uh, and and he's talking about it in a very spiritual way rather than a physical way yes yes yeah i think people who are listening to this that they realize this guy is not going to get an answer about his initial question about yeah. tax inheritance he's going to a deep, deep a deeper place and at the end of this section, you know, it simply says in verse 34, for where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. It's uh, so, so the challenge to the Jewish audience, as is to anybody reading this, it's about what motivates us, what is really the most important thing to us, because that where our treasure is, that's going to be our behavior driver, to use sort of modern uh, modern terminology. That's going to drive the choices we make, um, what we do and what we don't do. And uh, if our treasure is in this materialism, then we're going to make some, in my mind, some really bad choices. Mm. But if, it, if it's in, as you're saying, these acts of kindness, acts mm. of mercy, um, my my relationships, I'm going to put people before things. That mm. seems to be the radical gospel material. And you can see that in the prophets. You can mm. see that in the teaching of Jesus. And you can see it in the teaching of the radical early church. Yeah. So I think, that's, I think that's what kind of... This is the traction point, really, in 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 these in these stories. Um, you you did um uh, a bunch of talks on YouTube. People can can Google it. Uh, I think it was seven parables in seven minutes or something like that. Was that right? Yeah, each, each parable I tried to do in seven minutes. I, yeah. I failed miserably on a few cases because I, I went on a bit too long. <laughs> no, uh, right. But but some but some parables are very small. And you, you know, you can, and I think really the point of a parable is normally got one point. You know, you can, yeah. you, you can draw out different things, but it's a it's you know it's it's a simple story with a clear spiritual message. So I think if you're doing some teaching on the parables, the danger is, is to try and draw out things from every particular word or particular verse. I don't think that's what it's about. Yes. My, yes. You might say something interesting and useful, but it's really the, what is the core point? And so I did seven in seven, um, seven minutes each, there or thereabouts. And yes. as I said, yeah. you can see those on YouTube. But the, but I think the interesting thing, Matt, was um, it was really all, all those um, parables were all unique to Luke's gospel, as this one is we're looking at. Oh, that's interesting. So they're only found in Luke. And I think Luke has got a particular interest in, in the teaching ministry of Jesus. And him being a, a being of... Now, Luke was of Greek descent, wasn't he? Yeah, I think most people would suggest that Luke is the only non-Jewish writer of the new of any of the New Testament. Isn't that I mean, fascinating? Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of pushback in some scholarly circles, but I think is perceived to be the, the general understanding that he's writing primarily for a non-Jewish audience. So he's doing, in a sense, what we're trying to do in this podcast. We're, we're trying to honour the Jewish contours, but to bring that into an audience which is largely not going to be familiar with Talmud, uh, Torah observance, rabbinic traditions. Yeah. Uh, and, and so in that sense, Luke is like a bridge between the Jewish world and the Roman Gentile pagan world. And that's exactly what Luke's gospel does. And of course, his second book, the book of Acts, yeah. is a connection point between Jerusalem. So when, when, when Luke writes the beginning of Acts, everybody who loves Jesus is Jewish. The whole church is Jewish. It's, it, the non-Jewish involvement only begins probably after this Roman centurion guy called Cornelius rocks up and he has a vision. And 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 it seems for the early Christians, the early Jewish believers, can these non-Jewish people be part of this kingdom stuff? And uh and eventually they say absolutely yes. But it took the Council of Jerusalem, you know, this this formal prayerful discernment. Yeah. We say obviously yes, but at the time I think there was some pushback. Yeah. Um, against that how wide is god's love does it include these strange non-jewish people that's i mean that's very profound i've never thought about this as because we we i mean it makes complete sense he's written about the context of the story but then to his audience he's now re wrote the book of acts to give them a context of how it applies to them yeah and absolutely what you also see in in acts where does it start it starts in Jerusalem. Where does it end? Paul's in prison. Where in Rome? In Rome, the very centre of the of the pagan world. So you know, yeah. it's no. I don't think it's accidental. I no. think Luke is deliberately saying this has to start in Jerusalem. If your faith doesn't start with the Jewish Messiah who died and rose again, guess what? It will never start. But if you try and keep it in that context, it won't. It won't. It won't thrive. The purpose of the kingdom is for all people, and it's got to go to places like Rome, the very mm. centre of the most evil, oppressive, 
pagan empire in the history of the world. You know, and, and yeah. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for everyone. And he says that when he's writing to the Church of Rome. Why? Because many people will be ashamed of the gospel. It's this small Jewish sect with very little social influence. But he also knows that it's the power of God. Yeah, yeah. I um, I have personal favorite parables. And I mean, the parable of the sower for me is it's the it's the gold standard. And the parable of the, the prodigal son, I think everybody knows that. <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, uh, genuinely. But from your perspective, there are certain parables that have been vastly misinterpreted or misquoted um, that or uh, misinterpreted through Western optics that actually meant something different. Can you give me a few examples of basically correcting our understanding of kingdom truths that that have been lost in translation? Yeah, I think I think for example, um, so if, if we look at we say you know everybody knows um, uh, you know the, 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 the parable of the prodigal son, for example. Yeah. And I think that's the way most people would would see it. I think probably from a kind of Jewish context that it's it's actually we actually have in Luke 15 we actually have one parable in three distinct parts. So I think mm. you're just looking at the parable of the prodigal son, you're going to miss some kingdom truths here. I think what we actually have, and again this is Luke's brilliance or or Jesus's brilliance as a teacher, and Luke's recording it, of course. But yeah, it's, it, we're taken on this journey from one in a hundred. You know, so there's one sheep missing out of a hundred. I, I can take that loss if I lose 1% of my income, no one's going to mind. Yeah. To one in 10, and now there's one in two. And there's huh. a journey, there's a journey going on there. And that's, I think, you know, the Jewish audience would understand this, that the stakes are getting progressively higher in this story. Uh, you know, and the father loses 50% of his, of his family, you know, one in two sons. Um, and I think also most of us, I think, when we read Luke 15 from a kind of Western Christian viewpoint, we think, yeah, I'm a bit like the last son. You know, I went off and I done bad stuff. And by God's grace, I've come back. But I think for the Jewish audience, the son which is really lost is the older son. I think, again, we don't always pick that up, do we? That the older son says, I've been slaving here all my life. You never even, you know, threw a party with me. So the son the, the, the older son is a bit like, you might say, uh, a faithful kind of Jewish person who, who has been following Torah, following temple, but the relationship is not life-giving. It's done out of a sense of obligation. Yeah. Now, that's, that's quite good. He's been serving his father. He hasn't gone off, but it is done out of duty. And I think Jesus is saying here, what really counts is to, to relate to the father with a sense of delight not just duty. And how do we have that delight? Well, you know, we only discover that delight when we realize how deeply we've been forgiven. That mm -hmm. even we think we've been on the inside. No, God, you know, we're there by God's grace. And I think again, it's it's just kind of picking up on 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 those on those kind of contours. And of course, the last coin, the one in the middle of these, of, I think this is one parable in three parts. Mm -hmm. But again, the last coin, 10 silver coins, this is almost certainly um the the diary that what she's given during on her wedding day yes this is i know that. that you may have yeah. heard you may have heard that yeah so, yeah yeah and, and you can actually see uh we have a little exhibition um called the bible comes to life exhibition and we have some artifacts of these as you go to the israeli museum you, you'll see these coins which were sort of embedded so it's not just an invest it's not just a financial investment which she's lost is an emotional this this reminds her yeah it's like you losing your your engagement ring or wedding yeah. ring it, it touches you far far deeper who cares what it costs it's 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 something special to me so i think you're right i think you know there's many examples of, of when we're looking at, at at these stories um you know we're beginning to see these different kind of meanings and again, of course, I mean, it's obvious to us. I mean, if, if you know the Bible, why the Good Samaritan is 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 there, um, you know, because the guy says at the end of the story, Jesus says, "Well, you know, who, who was the neighbor? Who who was good in the story?" Mm. And he can't even say well, it was the Samaritan. He can't even use those words because the Samaritans are anathema to him. 
So he says, oh, well, it was a guy who was kind to him. You know, he can't, he can't articulate the Samaritan. He can't, he can't speak of that. And of course, throughout Jewish tradition, there's been this ongoing conflict with the Samaritans. But Jesus uses the Samaritans in that story. And at the beginning of John's gospel, who does Jesus spend the most time with? He spends his time with two different people. One is Nicodemus, who is the religious example of, you know, Mr. Perfect. He's, you know, he's part of the ruling council. He's a rabbi. He's brilliant. Everybody knows Nicodemus, part of the ruling council. And he also then goes and spends equal amount of time with someone at the completely opposite end of the social context. A woman, a woman of dubious background, to put it politely. We don't even know her name. Yeah. Guess what? She's a Samaritan. Now you think, oh, so what? But in that context, it, this this is radical. I think, I think you know, the writer of John's Gospel is saying, I want to get across the theological point I'm making, and maybe you don't pick this up from a sort of you know two thousand years later in the Gentile yeah. world, but the Gospel is for Nicodemus, it's for the Jewish elite, it's for the righteous Jewish people, yeah, and it's also for the most far away person who who can i think of who's most far away a woman a samaritan who's probably a prostitute i can't think of anything more different to a righteous religious pharisee yeah you know I mean? yeah chalk and cheese so again i think these are the kind of thing which which helps us sort of just get into the text a bit more i mean I some it. of this stuff some of this stuff you know uh, you know will, will bubble away for years and it, it won't necessarily connect but our times it will really you know, really kind of play out in in, in our discipleship. I, I hope, because at the end of the day, this is this this kind of in, interesting study isn't, I guess, to make us feel clever or more articulate with the text. It's actually to try and make us somehow better, radical, faithful yeah. disciples of Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, of the of the parables, do you have any that really inspire you? And then there are some that just make leave you stumped with i don't get it because you know the the the, the one about the the ten virgins yeah. i do I, I i scratch my head with that the one about the uh the ruler who basically pays the workers the same fee i understand yes. it i get the principle of it yes yeah but it's a strange story yes. well what which ones inspire you and which ones trouble you well i i think you know um I, I i chose i chose the seven in 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 luke because I, they, they all kind of you know they, or they all kind of speak to me and i feel confident with those seven and yeah. as one or two i would think i would think, you know it's a bit like if you're i don't know if you're leading a bible study or when you're you're, you're preaching uh and you get given a really difficult text you think oh no what, what do i do on the day like that and someone said to me the best thing you can do if you've got a difficult parable or a difficult text is to fake a minor illness and not turn up ah, <laughs> on that on that day i think i'm sure i'm sure people listening say that's not the, the right answer but i do find i mean i find um the parable of the shrewd manager in in luke 16 quite a difficult um uh kind of difficult story um uh, you know i think there's also this sense sometimes someone who has who has much you know it seems to be benefiting and someone who has little is sort of judged more harshly the, the guy who who takes his kind of treasure and digs it in the ground yeah i mean i, I kind of sympathize with that guy he's sort of saying look i don't quite know what to do i don't want to mess up i don't want to lose this and he kind of plays safe and i think well you know would, would i do something like that so i think there are certain stories where emotionally or intellectually we kind of find challenging but I think to those listening, I say, you know, if there's a three, if it's a three or four you feel confident with, you know, go deep on those, you know. And, and I think it's always better to go from what you know or what you think you understand and then investigate the more challenging parables than say, I'm going to start with two or three really challenging ones, because that might you just might lose any sense of momentum yeah. in, in your studies. So, yeah, start with what you feel the well-known stories let them speak to you and then perhaps move, move on a, a little bit from there. So do you have any that you really love that, that do inspire you of those seven, which of those that just leave you, that makes you stand up with a great big high five and an applause? You know, yeah, <laughs> well, I, I, I think if, if I'm allowed to say Luke 15 is one parable. So if, if I was on a desert Island, I could just take yeah. one power with me and you allowed me to take 
what in what in most people's minds are three distinct parables. I yep. would take the last sheep, the last coin, and the last son. And I would say it's the it's the last sons plural, because both the younger and older son, in some senses, are equally lost. Mm-hmm. And and I find the older son has been speaking it's like the older son has been speaking to me more. I mean, I've been a Christian minister for over 40 years. Mm-hmm. And you know, I kind of feel sometimes, oh, I don't know kind of slogged away i've you know been on a small stipend for years and then you see somebody coming to faith later in life it was a bit like the the payment in the vineyard someone's only turned up and done half a shift and god seems to be blessing them so that kind of slightly grumpy kind of entitlement i think sometimes we have as christians if we've been around the block many times is where the story of the prodigal sons speaks to us so yeah i mean i I feel i must say i necessarily enjoy that but I do feel very challenged recently yeah. about, you know, thinking in some sense, because I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, you know, I've got the badge, I've got the T-shirt. There's a kind of sense of entitlement we sometimes have, isn't there? Yeah. That isn't good for our relationship with, with Jesus or with other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I want to be confident in my faith. I, wa- mm. I want to uh, be strong in my identity but I don't want it to kind of morph into some kind of arrogance or entitlement That's and make sure I'm the front of the queue before you because I, you know, and you sometimes get that in the church, then you, someone sort of, I mean, most churches would say, of course, Alex, we want to welcome new people in, but they don't necessarily want to face the changes and the challenges of growth. Yeah. You know, I've always sat there. This is where I used to sit with my wife before she died. This is my pew. This is my chair. So we, we have ownership. And I think that's why, you know, depending where you are in your life, I think different parables will encourage and will rebuke you in equal measure. I love that. So, I mean, you your ministry is evangelical as well as educational. Um, so we've, we've covered the education side of things. Um, now I know that there are other ministries that there that are specifically there to speak to, to other people groups, you know, Muslims or Sikhs or from different ethnic backgrounds or whatever doesn't matter. How how do you have to talk with Jewish people who are just like everyone else? They have a preload about on their spirituality and their view on the world. How do you then introduce the story of Jesus and the story of the kingdom in a way that um, still gives everybody dignity? Yeah, I think and I think any kind of cross-cultural conversation is always fraught with difficulties, isn't it? You know, it's, 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 you know, this is why if we're doing cross-cultural mission, it it always is going to take a degree of humility and, and experience to try and to try and get that right um i think for me in, in in dealing with in sharing in a jewish context i think the first thing to say that jewish there's no such thing as a jewish context there are jewish contexts plural so for example if you've got a secular jewish friend you know at university whatever you know he or she you know may may not i mean they would be strongly jewish in their identity but that would have no religious element whatsoever you know mm. so so i think you want to say is who am i dealing with here so we have a ministry among jewish people but i think we would recognize there's a distinctive approach if you're talking to secular liberal left-wing yeah. jews jewish yeah. people who might you know identify with a marxist philosophy and on the other end of the extreme you know an acidic orthodox ultra orthodox jewish person yeah. uh so I, and i so i guess it's 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 kind of been subtle in terms of it's a bit like a ministry among young people isn't it you know a yeah. youth work it would reach to young people but he or she would realize there's a huge difference among young people i mean there's there's not you know the only thing they have in common is their age but they may have nothing else in common whatsoever so i think it's important to kind of understand the, the kind of multi-layered uh, engagement yeah. with the Jewish world. I think the other couple of other things which I think is distinctive in Jewish ministry yeah. is to understand that the church history has been often in conflict with Jewish history. So okay. while we would say that this gospel, it's the good news. If you actually understand perhaps the Holocaust or your own family's history, where in many cases 
the good news that church has been seen as the oppressive force. And I think in that sense, there has to be a lot of understanding and repentance and, and you know, in a sense, saying, well, yes, we, we understand how history has distorted that relationship. Yeah, but yeah. it doesn't have to distort the future. So I think to, to to come in with a kind of triumphant kind of message. Oh yeah, yeah, I get that. Any sense of repentance or humility, because yeah. the church has, in many cases, been bad news for Jewish people. I mean, there's been an anti-Semitic, a kind of replacement kind of theology. Yeah. We often talk about where the church has claimed, uh, you know, the, the promises uh, which which should rightly remain with Jewish people. And the final thing, which I think is perhaps the most helpful is when I'm sharing the gospel with Jewish people, I, I'm not Jewish, I'm a, I'm a Gentile Christian, some of my colleagues are Jewish, but I, I say this stuff means a lot to me because I follow Jesus, who's who's my rabbi, he's my friend, he's my saviour, and he's Jewish. So I have a connection with Jewish life through, through my faith in, in Jesus. But yeah. I'm saying to Jewish people, whatever you are on the Jewish spectrum, yeah. that this is not my story I'm telling you, it is your story which is continuing through. So if you say, if you're a Jewish person and you know the Torah, you know the prophets, yeah. sometimes the gospel comes across as a disconnected message. I mean, some you know, the, the, the gospel doesn't begin in the New Testament. It goes right back. You know, when did the church begin is a great question. Um, you could mm. argue the church begins with Abraham's faith when he's called. Yeah. And I think to somehow say, this is not something we're importing into Jewish life, but this is something which is always, this is your story. Um, uh, this is continuous with Jewish faith. You might choose to say, I'll reject that. I don't believe it. But what, what we don't want you to be able to say is, this is not relevant to you. This, this, this is not, uh, this, this, this is part of the Jewish heritage of faith. So if you're a Jewish person and you come to follow Jesus, you don't cease to be Jewish. Your Jewishness is enlarged and fulfilled by faith in Jesus. So I think what we're trying to do between the Old and New Testament, if you can use those terms, is not to focus on discontinuity, but on the continuity which flows through. Mm, that's really good. That's really, really good. Because, that, I mean, that that follows when when Paul was in Athens, and he looked at the continuity, the behaviors of the people there where they worshipped all sorts of different idols or gods, whatever you want to call it, but then discovered that there was um, an altar, a god to the unknown god. Sure. And so yes. he joined in that conversation and said, now let me tell you about a story that you're already involved with. And, and then he starts talking about Jesus. Really Absolutely, I, I think Matt. What whoever we're talking to, isn't it? We, the the gold standard in in missional conversations is finding a connection point, a genuine connection point. And yeah. Paul does that brilliantly because he quotes from some of the the kind of a philosophical Greek rhetoric traditions in that in that story. Yeah. And so, he, yeah, people are important. You know, uh, when you're connecting with Jewish people, you make these connections back to the hopes of the prophets, all the rest of that kind of stuff. You can see that in one sense, those connection points should be, you know, the most easy with Jewish people. But because mm -hmm. of the history of the church, it becomes polluted and, and damaged. Yeah. But I think all of us, you know, wherever we're trying to reach out, if we can find that genuine point of connection, I think then, you know, we, that gives a kind of context for the spirit of God to work. Mm, I love that. I love that. Alex, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Um, no doubt people would, will like to know more about um, CJM. Where can they find? What's the website? Okay, so um, the, the first place to go really is um, to look at the church's ministry among Jewish people, CMJ. Our, our website is www.cmj.org.uk. And that takes you onto the UK site. And from there, you can also visit our colleagues in Israel as well. And that gives you all the all the information about, about CMJ. Um, also, um, uh, one of our vice presidents is a guy called Canon J. John. Some of you might have heard of Canon J. John. He's probably one of the best known evangelists. And he does a series called Facing the Canon. And there he actually interviews me um, 
And in that interview, we go right through the history of CMJ. And if you go onto uh, the YouTube facing the canon, and you just put in Alex Jacob, you, you'll see that. And there's links there back to the CMJ website and YouTube channels. So that will be a, a, a good way in. Or you can even, if you want to just have conversations with me personally, um, I'm very happy to give you my work email. So it's A-L-E-X, Alex J, the letter J, at cmj.org.uk. And I, I, some people, you know, people who are inquiring about faith, particularly from a Jewish context, I always try and answer those questions personally. If you've got particular questions you want, you want to get into touch with me. So just uh, and all the details are on the website, Matt. So uh, there we are. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. It's been lovely to, to chat with you, and I hope some of that might be might be helpful. It was really good. So just to say thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. And uh, if you want to catch up with any other episodes, do go on to the Anchor Season 4 um, portal and uh, you'll see all of the other episodes that I've done. Also, check us out on, obviously, iTunes through uh, Apple and with your Android and all of your other different places like Spotify that you get to listen to your podcasts. <laughs> Equally, if you are someone who uses Twitter, um, we are seasoned for life and um, we have posts of all sorts there and then this is the next new thing if you're really interested why don't you come and join our learning community it's on Facebook it's a group of people who are asking questions about what does it look like to be seasoned for purpose anyway thanks again for listening and uh, we'll look forward to connecting with you next time